Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We wanted to sell ice cream to people like us. What do they say if the shoe fits? <laughs> Hello, this is Christopher Chumpf, and I'm sorry for being late with this episode. I'm not sure that you even noticed it, but it took a few extra days due to logistics, but now I'm here. I'm back in Sweden after a few weeks on the road, and I'm severely jet-lagged after my latest quest for new interviews in La La Land. But enough about me, it's time to introduce my 34th guest in the series of interviews that I've chosen to call Varvet International. With no social skills, no entrepreneurial ambitions, a fear to fail and a lack of drive, who would have thought that Jerry Greenfield would become one of the 1% in America and one of the world's most successful businessmen? The unlikely entrepreneur Jerry Greenfield started his first ice cream parlor together with his close friend Ben Cohen in 1978 in Burlington, Vermont. Today, Ben & Jerry's ice cream is one of the world's most popular brands sold all over the world, basically. Personally, I liked Ben & Jerry's long before it was even possible to buy their ice cream here in Sweden. I liked it for their award-winning copywriting. Their tone of voice is uniquely personal and I have more than once referred to them as an example of great copywriting in my old advertising days. That being said, I wasn't sure I'd do this interview. I mean, even though I am an old fan of the Ben & Jerry's brand and I do like their product... But after all, by saying yes to this interview, I also help a brand that by no means pay me to do so. But my aspiration with this meeting and that you are about to hear was to find out who the person behind the brand is. And even though Jerry tried, it's not a story about him and Ben Cohen. It's about Jerry Greenfield. At least that's what I aimed for. And you'll be the judge if I succeeded. So that said, roll the tape, please. Mr. Greenfield, so happy uh, that you've given me the chance to, to see you. Please call me Jerry. I will. Jerry. How are you today? I'm having a great time. Really fun. Yeah. Can I ask you, you have a plaster on your nose. How is I that? I do. I had skin cancer removed about two weeks ago, so uh -huh. I'm just healing. I'm fine, though. All right. You have to look out for that, right? You do need to look out for that, plus I'm not such a young man anymore. But you're fine. I'm very good. Okay. I'm great. How do you like Stockholm so far? I have been having a great time. I've been here about a day and a half. I've been walking around. The weather is incredible. The people are wonderful. 
the people, I guess, are the same most of the time. But, well, the weather, <laughs> you've been lucky, let's say. But I'm happy. I feel very lucky. Yeah. And what brings you to Stockholm, exactly? I am here for the Ben and Jerry's Join Our Core campaign. So I've been in London a few days ago. I was in Hamburg until yesterday. And, and now I'm in Stockholm with the two local winners of Join Our Core, which is an activity to find and help some young social entrepreneurs who are starting out with projects that are designed to address social or environmental issues. You just met the Swedish winners. I met them yesterday. We had coffee. I hear people have a lot of coffee here. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're we're number two on the list of, of countries' uh, coffee consumption. Yeah. yeah, yeah. After Finland. Really? Yeah. How can we have Finland be ahead of us here in Sweden? Well, I guess it has to do with the darkness and depression and stuff, winter depression and, yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we just need that stuff to keep us going. But could you describe, do you know where we are? In Stockholm? Yeah. I have no idea where we are. Okay. We're in some kind of uh, complex. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely inside. I know that. Yeah. And there's a lot of rooms around us. This used to be one of the coolest furniture stores in, in Stockholm. I'm not sure why they closed it, but we don't have to get into that too uh-huh. deeply, I guess. But it's been explained to me that you're no longer responsible for Ben & Jerry's, or, but you're still in the company, right? I, I am still employed at the company, and... I have zero responsibility. Oh. Some people are shooting for jobs with zero responsibility. Yeah. You know, the other the other side of the coin of zero responsibility is I have zero authority. Oh, so yeah. uh, they, they go hand in hand. Now you're obviously here in Stockholm doing some kind of PR work almost. Uh, uh-huh. Is that what your everyday situation look like well ben and i as i mentioned are employed at ben and jerry's and we are able to choose the things we want to be involved in and i am very interested in the social mission of the company which the company likes to use its power and its voice to address in an innovative way social and environmental problems. I happen to be very interested in that. I also happen to think it's really good for Ben and Jerry's. So so that's where I spend my efforts. But you say that you have zero responsibility. Could you like um, stay home for a week without telling anyone? I could stay home for a week and I could also tell people I was staying home for yeah. a week. Yeah. <laughs> and I I think I think the company would be very happy. Okay. You know, it's it, what it's a little hard to imagine, right? A company yeah. that's named Ben and Jerry's has Ben and Jerry both still working there, and yet they're not responsible for anything. How how does that work? And but, and and it's even true in the United States, where I think people make the assumption that Ben and I are still choosing the direction for the company, or that. Whatever the company is doing that Ben and I happen to support. You know, the other side of that is that Ben and I can be involved in things individually, and people naturally assume that Ben and Jerry's, the company, is supporting those. And that's not always the case, also. Mm. 
If you don't uh, mind us going back a bit, you were born and raised in Brooklyn, right? Well, Ben and I were both born there, but we we were raised in Long Island, which oh. is just outside of New York City. Okay, how come? Brooklyn was where the hospital was, so there was nothing uh-huh, particular right. about Brooklyn. Uh, but the families were uh, living in on Long Island. Yeah, yeah. Ben and I lived in the same town together, and we met in school when we were 13 years old. So we went through junior high school and high school together, and we have been friends ever since. Do you have any siblings? I have an older sister and a younger brother, and I'm also married, and my wife and I have a 27-year-old son. Then you're you're the middle child, or are you a typical middle child? I don't know exactly what a typical middle child is, or what are those characteristics. I'm not sure either, because I don't have any siblings. I thought that perhaps you could. You well, could you know, I've me. I've always heard that the oldest child tends to be more driven. They get a lot of attention from the parents when they're growing up because. They're the first child, and the parents feel like they need to be very involved. And by the time parents have several children, they realize that the kids kind of do okay on their own. And so the the younger children tend not to get as fussed over. And I think as a middle child, middle children are supposed to be, I don't know if wishy-washy is is the right term, but not really decisive. They tend to go with whatever other people want. And, you know, I, I think I'm more along those lines. You know, between Ben and me, for example, Ben is, oh, he's just very, he takes a lot of initiative He's a very focused and driven person. He has things he's interested in and he wants to get done. And he's a real self-starter and really self-motivated. And I'm a person who... And he's the firstborn. No, he's not. He's the secondborn okay. in his right. uh, in his family also. All right. Yeah. What did your parents do for a living when you grew up? My mother was a homemaker. My father was a stockbroker. Okay. In uh, Manhattan. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Were you middle class, would you say? Yeah, I think I think that's a good description. And you were raised uh, Jewish, or? Yep. Yeah. Yep, both Ben and I. How Jewish are you? I would say I am not very religious. I am not observant, per se. I think I feel more Jewish by, I don't know if it's... It's not even lifestyle or outlook. I don't. I don't feel very Jewish at all, really. I mean, I feel like it's part of my heritage, and I certainly relate to it. But um, as I said, I'm not. I'm not observant. What happens after you die? (laughs) You mean, what do I happen to believe? Or uh, I think there is uh, whether you call it God or a greater force or. So I, I believe in that, and uh, I believe that our souls or our spirits go join that, that we're all part of that, but I have nothing to prove it. It just happens what I believe. Nobody does. Yeah, yeah. So in a way, you, you do have a faith then in God. I do, yeah. yeah. But it's not perhaps the same God as, I mean, the Jewish church necessarily. I think it is the same God. Oh, okay. I, th- I think it's all the same God. I think different people have different ways to, I don't know, communicate, approach that. But I think that that 
that all powerful force, that oneness, that all being is is the same for everyone. What was your upbringing like? I had loving parents. I had a good childhood. I had probably a typical suburban life. I was a kid who did what was expected of him. I followed rules. I did well in school. I was pretty shy, quiet, studious, not all that interesting or outgoing. What What happened? (laughs) (laughs) No, but what made you tick back then? I don't think I th- I spent a lot a lot of time thinking about anything. I was interested in sports, like baseball. Baseball. I followed all sorts of professional sports, and I would play sports on a on a recreational level. But I was not never any good. I didn't play on any school teams or anything like that. If you were going to a, a deserted island and you can just bring one sport, what would would that be? Basketball. Okay. Yeah. So that's your name, number one. Yeah, and I would say that as as a kid, my fantasy would to be a professional basketball player. Not that it would, of course, ever happen, but you know that that to me seemed to be my dream. You're a tad short. I'm a tad short. I'm a tad chunky. I'm a tad slow. There's many <laughs> things we could reference at this point. It wasn't a realistic fantasy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what made it a fantasy. I read somewhere about your teenage years that you and Ben were like, what were you doing together? We met in school in gym class. Uh, We met running around the track because we were the two slowest, fattest kids in the class. So we were not very athletic. We were not thriving in gym class, let's shall we say. And when we were running around the track, we were at the back of the track where everybody else in the pack was at the front of the track. You make friends there at the back of the track. Yeah. And how would you describe your your sort of teenage self? I was forgettable. Yeah. You okay. know, I wouldn't I wouldn't make any sort of impression on anyone. I was just, you know, uh quiet and introverted. Yeah. And you had a dream, an unrealistic dream about being a basketball player, but Yes, but I wouldn't say it It, it didn't dominate my thoughts. No. But, but then you wanted to go into a medical school. At the, was that a, an early idea that you pursued? You know, I think that was something that came to me as I was in high school and college because I was good in math and science. And I think I just thought of it as a normal path that I might follow. I don't think I was particularly motivated to do it, but I was thinking what what could I do that that I might be good at, that I have some skills at and, you know, might be helpful to people. Mm. I think I I I've always wanted to help people. And you tried that twice, right? I tried I, applying to medical school twice. Yeah. Yes. In the meantime, did you study other other stuff instead? I I went to college and I I studied liberal arts. So That meant I dabbled in many different things, whether it was, you know, you take some psychology courses or you take other science courses, you take history courses. But, you know, it's just sort of a general 
college education. And you didn't have like a big, big idea about the future. I did not have a big idea about the future. And, you know, I was, as I mentioned, I, I was a quiet kid. I didn't have a lot of friends in high school. I had a, a small number of good friends, but I was, I was not very socially adept So I studied a lot because I followed the rules and that was what was expected of me. And then I got to college and once again, I didn't have very good social skills. And so in the beginning, I studied a lot. And then as I got more comfortable socially and made more friends, I stopped studying as much. And I found that my grades kept going down and down and down. You know, for most kids in college, at least in the United States... As they get more accustomed to being in school, their grades go up. And yet mine were going in the other direction. I think that's maybe why I never got into medical school. And you had also been doing good all your life, I guess. Yes. I think I was losing my motivation to do well academically. What um, has happened to me? <laughs> well, well, you've been doing quite well, I guess. Now, yeah. 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 I think I wasn't cut out to be an academic. No, but not uh, everybody are. No, I guess. No. You are an entre entrepreneur. You've become one since mm -hmm. then. Yeah. But did you have entrepreneurial ideas before that? Never. You never had one? Never. Okay. I'm actually not very entrepreneurial. That's the funny thing. Mm. Uh, ben, my dear friend and partner, is extremely entrepreneurial. And, you know, he he I he's somebody who I would describe as a a classic entrepreneur, someone who has lots of ideas, loves to try new things, doesn't mind making mistakes. Ben has always said he would rather fail at something new than succeed at something that's already been done before. And yeah. so I ended up partnering with Ben because he and I wanted to work together. We wanted you know, it's not as if we really wanted to go into business. We wanted to work together. We both like to eat. We picked ice cream. Mm. And that eventually turned out to be Ben and Jerry's. But mm. there was there was no grand plan to try to start an ice cream empire. Is it true that you were the one who had sort of, you were the one who had come in contact with the ice cream business first? No, you know, we, we did it together, Ben and I. Well, you know, maybe that is true. In college, I had a job in the cafeteria and I scooped ice cream there. So I guess I guess you could say, no, but uh, no, I take that back. Ben had ice cream experience before me because he and a friend had a job driving around a truck in the summer as ice cream vendors selling ice cream items uh, like pre-made cones or popsicles or things off a truck. Do they have those here? Dingling trucks? That, yes, uh, we do. So in the U.S., the main dingling vendor is called Good Humor. And then there was the off-brand, sort of the cheap competitors that was known as Pied Piper. And Ben was a Pied Piper man. And, you know, the, I, do you guys have the story of the Pied Piper here? Well, it's something with a, a rat, right? And the Is it a flute. rat? Or, yeah, yeah. The children yeah. follow around the person playing the flute. Okay. And, and so this was 
the Pied Piper driver driving around the ice cream truck ringing his bells and the children would come along running after the, uh, the Pied Piper man. I'm sort of curious, sorry for uh, being repetitive perhaps, but I'm sort of trying to understand where you were at. I mean, what was your sort of goal like in 77, for instance? Uh-huh. Where did you want to be? So I had gotten rejected again from medical school for the second time. Ben had been trying to be a potter, making pottery and selling it, and nobody would buy his pottery. So Ben and I Was were... Was he good? He was good, but not great. And he wasn't good enough. I mean, you know, if people don't buy your pottery, you're obviously not good enough. Perhaps. <laughs> or, or a terrible salesman. No, he actually had a friend of his. He, he was a terrible salesman. And so he engaged a friend of his to sell the stuff. And even his friend couldn't do it. Okay. Because Ben was not a good self-promoter. So we were failing at the things we were trying to do. We needed to do something. We thought, let's get together, do something together, try to do something that's fun, be our own bosses. We had always liked to eat. We thought we would pick a food. We picked ice cream, tried to learn how to make it, and opened up an ice cream shop. And Mm. we thought we would do that for a couple of years. And then we thought we would do something else together. We had talked about maybe becoming cross-country truck drivers together. So, you know, for us, opening up an ice cream shop was a little bit like a lark. We would just do it for a while and have fun with it. Yeah. How many times do you think you've told that story about you and Ben opening the parlor? Is it a million? No, I was going to say hundreds. It's not thousands. But, you know, it's, it's an interesting story. It's not that unusual in terms of startups. You know, you, you sort of ask, how often have you told that story? I, I do a little public speaking in the United States, maybe a dozen times a year or so, either to, oh, college groups or sometimes to business groups. And I'm always aware that there are people that have also very interesting startup stories that are probably as interesting as the one I tell, but for some reason because Ben and Jerry's has become successful or because Ben and Jerry's makes ice cream and people really like ice cream that, that people want to hear that story. It is a fantastic story and a fantastic journey that you've been on, but in a way it's perhaps even more interesting to know when you started the second partner. (laughs) Really? Perhaps. I'm not sure. Let's try. Well, it might be. I mean, what what's interesting is that the reason Ben and I tried to expand the company is because we were still not surviving. We were not being successful. Okay. And, you know, I think many times people think, oh, you had this plan to make Ben and Jerry's bigger and you decided to open up more shops and you decided to package ice cream and sell it from grocery stores. And and the reality is, is that we had an ice cream shop. We were not making enough money to stay in business and we had to find other ways to survive. We, we were just trying to find ways to hold on. <laughs> you know, we, we were located in an area that had a very long winter. So it had a very short ice cream season. 
So it was very I know, seasonal. I know that you were working really hard to find a place to start the first one. We did. We, we wanted to find a place that was a college town because we thought college kids would eat a lot of ice cream. Because they smoke a lot of pot. I'm not sure we explicitly thought that, but it might have been in the backs of our yeah. minds. But, you know, we, we, were, we wanted to sell ice cream to people like us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, what do they say, if the shoe fits? <laughs> so we, we were looking for a college town. We didn't want to be in a big city, so we, we were specifically looking for a college town that was somewhat rural. And we wanted to find a town that didn't already have an ice cream parlor because we didn't have any business experience. So we thought we wouldn't do that well with competition. And so where we ended up opening in Burlington, Vermont, didn't have any other ice cream parlors. And the reason it didn't have any other ice cream parlors is because it was so cold there all the time. But we thought, what the heck? And so, you know, getting back to what you think might be an interesting story about the second ice cream shop or, or why the company expanded. It was a very seasonal business. Plus, although Ben and I made incredibly wonderful and delicious ice cream, we were not really good scoopers. And the problem we had as scoopers was that we had very bad portion control. We were making scoops of ice cream that were too big. So we were essentially scooping away all our profits because it turns out when you give somebody a really big scoop of ice cream, they're really happy and you get all this positive reinforcement and you want your customers to be happy. And so we realized we needed to get out of the ice cream shop because the the shop would never survive if we were there scooping. Oh, so you needed some fierce... Uh... <laughs> Not necessarily fierce, but somebody who could follow procedure. You know, when you're the boss, as Ben and I were, you don't have to follow any procedures. Mm-hmm. You're the boss. If you want to break the rules, go right ahead. So you took in one employee first? Well, we always, we always had a few employees who were helping us because Ben and I couldn't do everything ourselves. But at one point, we hired a manager for the ice cream shop. And at that point, we started to package the ice cream into containers to sell to grocery stores. And the reason we started doing that was because we realized we could not overscoop ice cream into a pint container. It, it, it would only hold so much. Mm. You couldn't put too much in. And we thought, well, this will certainly solve our problems. Mm. <laughs> were you sort of the most premium brand at the time? Yes, in the area we were. But so within the U.S., the big, what would be called super premium brand was haagen ice cream. And, you know, that, that was an interesting story because they were an ice cream that was made in New York But they came up with this made-up name, haagen that was created to make it sound like it came from Scandinavia. Mm. So they, you know, there was this, they wanted to be this elegant, high-quality ice cream. And so they pretended they came from Copenhagen. They put a, a map on their container with Copenhagen on it. And uh, so people thought they were buying this very fancy European ice cream. Were you sort of, as the company grew, did you have inspiration from other enterprises? 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, we, we had inspiration, not so much in the ice cream world, but I think more along the idea of being a socially responsible business, trying to have the business address the needs of communities as well as making money. But were there other companies working like there, that? There were a handful of companies in the United States at that time who were doing it, and, and some in Europe as well. The Body Shop from England was a real innovator in that respect. In the United States, there was Patagonia. Oh, there course. was Stonyfield Farm Yogurt. So there, there were... Definitely other people that were in the networks that, that we hung out in. But, you know, Ben and Jerry's and those other companies were really considered to be outliers, that we weren't going to succeed, that having those values within the company were going to be the undoing of those companies. Let's go back to the second parlor then. When did you open that? Well, the second parlor... I don't know, maybe two or three years after we opened. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't any great thing. I mean... Still in Burlington? No, just, just outside of Burlington. You know, the company now, I think, has about 250 or so ice cream shops in the United States. And they're, they're franchised. And, you know, there are some in Europe as well, but those are actually a very small part of the business. Maybe 80% of the ice cream business is from packaged ice cream, either either tubs or shorties, as we call them. So 80% is packaged. The, the shops sell a less amount volume-wise and, and dollar or euro or kroner-wise, but they actually allow the company to be involved in in local communities, which serves a very important function. When did you realize that you weren't going to get out of this business? You know, I I think when the first time Ben and I realized the company was successful and more than just a little ice cream business was when we built our first ice cream manufacturing facility in Waterbury, Vermont. And that was the end of 1984. We had, we had started in 1978. And this was, we had had a couple of very small patched together makeshift ice cream plants. And this was the first real factory we had. Did you make the, the ice cream in the back of this shop at first? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. we actually made it in the front of the shop. Yeah. Okay. Right, yeah. right in the front window. So, but when we had this ice cream factory, we had automated equipment 
And so the ice cream would come out of these frozen ice cream machines and then it would go in these pipes and go into these ice cream pint containers and there would be so they would fill automatically then there would be a machine that would automatically put the lid on those then there would be a machine that would spray the code dating on the bottom of the pint then there was a machine that would flip over every other pint and they would all get bundled together in a sleeve of eight pints together and then there would be shrink wrapping that would automatically shrink around those and so And then they would all go down this conveyor line. And so Ben and I would stand there and watch these packages of eight pints coming off this conveyor belt, one after another, after another, all automatically. And we said, boy, there's, there's somebody who's eating a lot of ice cream out there. And, you know, I think that's when it really struck us. And skip to sort of, I mean, 20 years or how long has it been since then? 31 years, I guess. It's a long time, huh? How do you feel about the company now? You know, I uh, the company is obviously very separate from Ben and me as people. It's its own entity. And so, you know, when I see Ben and Jerry's on a logo or or in a grocery store somewhere, I certainly am connected with it, but I don't feel like it's me. That I don't feel like I'm the Jerry on that package. Mm. You don't stop people in the grocery store saying, I'm I'm actually Jerry. I, I don't think I do that. No, no. I think, uh, no. And in fact, if, you know, if I'm sitting on an airplane next to somebody and they ask me what I do, I, you know, I usually make up an answer. Like I, I do. I sell insurance or something uh-huh. like that. You know, okay. I, yeah. Why is that? Well, who wants to get into a discussion about... Because everybody has an opinion. Well, it's not It's not that. I mean, I like hearing people's opinions. You know, everybody, not everybody, but many people feel so connected to ice cream. They have their own favorite flavor or whatever. But usually I don't want to engage in that discussion. I mean, you know, I'm I'm Jerry as part of my job. And then I go home and I can tell you that to my my dear wonderful saintly wife i am not jerry from ben and jerry's i am the husband mm. and that's the way it should be it sounds like you were sort of what we would in sweden at least call that you you sort of slipped on a banana skid into the business yes yeah and i mean now it's been your reality for the last almost 40 years yes But back then, you didn't really have a drive. You didn't know where to go. You sort of had a, a vague idea about what you wanted to Amazing, do. Amazing, huh? Yeah, but, but now, is it I'm different I'm like the now? luckiest guy in the world. Yeah, but is it different now? Do you, I mean, do you live to play golf? or? Do you, what? No, I don't live to play golf. Bad example, to, perhaps. But No, but uh, I mean, I'm very lucky on a number of ways that I... You know, I have a, I have a great job. I have a great family. I'm associated with a company that generally makes people happy. I think I have an unusual opportunity to have a voice that's heard and taken seriously about issues, which I never would have found. You know, Ben and Jerry's is respected as a business. I'm respected as a business person. And so I can talk about climate 
change and the need for businesses to address climate change in a serious way. And as a business person, I am uh, I'm taken seriously. So that's sort of what you want to spend time doing as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also back in the U.S., one of the, one of the big issues that both Ben and I are really interested in is money and politics and that there's no limit as to how much money corporations and wealthy individuals can contribute to political campaigns, which really undermines democracy. It makes politicians respond to the ultra wealthy and to corporations and not to the average person. And uh, so we're able to engage in that issue. And once again, we have a platform from which to speak. But you are the 1%, right? Oh, yeah, definitely yeah. in the 1%. Do you feel that that's sort of a, a problem for you in any way? First of all, I feel like the the extreme wealth and income inequality in my country and in the world is a problem. Yeah. And so I feel like that's something... I want to actively work on solving. So to the degree that I'm not taking it seriously on that because I'm in the 1%, then it is a problem. So you would like to pay more taxes? Is that what you're saying? I would like everybody who's wealthy to pay more taxes. It doesn't, it doesn't work if I'm the only one paying no. more taxes. It needs to be part of policy. Of course. But do you have like a, a presidential can, candidate that would like to see that as well? Yes. Hillary. No. Bernie Sanders. Uh-huh. I'm not familiar with him. He is a senator from Vermont who is an independent. He's not either a Republican or a Democrat. That's strange. Very unusual yeah. in, in, in the U.S. Yeah. And he is running for president. And I am extremely supportive. Okay. Of him. Yeah. Does he have a chance? He's a long shot, but, you know, as Ben and I always say, Ben and Jerry's was a real long shot, too. Yeah, of course. I mean, you were, anyway, here in Sweden, when you when Ben and Jerry's was launched here, you were a real game changer. Really? Yes. We didn't have anything like Ben and Jerry's back then, in a lot of ways. But was it the same in the U.S. as well? Have you well, changed the game? Well, you know, have we changed the game? You know, for, for one thing, Ben & Jerry's has been around for, as you say, almost 40 years. And so in the U.S., it's been, it's been over a much longer period of time. I think Ben & Jerry's is seen as not a company who has changed things, but Ben & Jerry's is a company that demonstrates that businesses can be involved in progressive social issues. You know, Ben & Jerry's is not big enough on its own to really change things. It can get involved in issues like marriage equality or get involved in issues like climate change. And it can't change it on its own, but it can certainly show that business can be thinking about more than just making money for itself. Has that been part of your company culture all along? I think it's been evolving. You know, clearly when we started out, we weren't thinking about that. But as the business grew, we started to understand much more about the role of business in communities and in society and that business can play an important role. You know, and, and you know, going back to some of the other issues Ben and Jerry's has been involved in, I was thinking the last time I was here in in Stockholm was when Ben and Jerry's was announcing its transition to become 100% fair trade. 
And not that Ben and Jerry's becoming fair trade is going to change the world or anything like that. But I do think it shows that a mainstream company, not some niche brand, but a real mainstream company can do things like that, that it's it's not going to hurt your business. It can help your business. I mean, Ben and Jerry's transitioned to fair trade ingredients globally and was able to do so without raising the price of ice cream to consumers as a result of that. So that that is an important thing to to demonstrate. I've promised myself not to ask you which which uh, Ben and Jerry's flavor is your favorite, but I would assume that that's the question that you've answered I, the most times. So the the three questions that I usually get, the first is where's Ben? Yeah. The second is what is your favorite flavor? And then of course the most important question, did you bring ice cream? Uh-huh, yeah. It's did, always assumed that did, I would bring ice cream. Did you? I believe we have ice cream yeah. here. I find that in general, I am much more warmly received if I bring ice cream. <laughs> that yeah. people yeah. are happy to see me, but they're much happier to see the ice cream. How have you and Ben sort of stayed? I mean, I, I I'm not sure that you have stayed friends. Ben and I are the, great friends. Yeah. We we were both very lucky. But have you had sort of, has there been, what's the term, turmoil? Turmoil. You know, the arguments we've had have been very few. We used to argue about the size of the chunks in the ice cream. Mm-hmm. Ben wanted really big chunks. And he, of course, insisted that our customers wanted really big chunks. I wanted a better distribution of smaller chunks because I, of course, insisted that that's what our customers wanted. But really, I was the person who was making the ice cream, and it was a lot easier to make ice cream without bigger chunks. Mm. And it turns out Ben was right. You know, he always said people didn't care if they got a really big chunk in every spoonful as long as they knew there was a really big chunk coming up soon. Yeah. And I think it's true. It's fascinating. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I guess you can... It has to do with the human psyche almost, right? Yeah. It's like uh, you want to be wowed. You know, you, yeah. you look at a chunk or you start chewing on a chunk and you go, wow, that's not normal. That's like really unusual. We were talking about the weather earlier and I realized that, I mean, in a way, perhaps summer is better here than in, in California, for instance, because we dare it so much. When it's a nice day. You really appreciate exactly. a nice day. It's the same in Vermont. I've always said a nice day in Vermont is nicer than in other places. Do you live in Vermont? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've never been. You? It's a beautiful place. Yeah, I have to go. You Wh- should. Why do I have to go? So Vermont is a rural state in the U.S. There's the population of the entire state is about 600,000 people. So it's a lot of small communities. The biggest city is about... 40,000 people. Physically, it's very beautiful. And there is a real sense of community of people wanting and needing to take care of each other. Partly, I think, because, you know, it's a long winter, maybe like here, and everybody at some point is going to drive off the road in the snow, and you need somebody to help you. And I think 
that makes an impression on people that you can't make it on your own. You, we all need each other. And you go there for skiing or you could go there for skiing. Yeah. Okay. In the winter. You could go there in the fall for the leaves turning, fall foliage. You could go in the summer for hiking. Well, I will. I would love to host you. Thank you. That would be super. <laughs> you are oftentimes called a philanthropist. Did I say philanthropist? It? Yeah. Philanthropist. Is that also something that has evolved over time? Well, yeah, so philanthropist is giving away money to charitable purposes. And, you know, as you have more money, you give away more money. You know, but uh, and giving away money is a really important thing to do, and it's great. And the company, Ben & Jerry's, also has a foundation that it gives money to, which is very important. And also, we've always said that the real power of the company is not in how much money the company can give away, although it's incredibly important. But the real power of the company is in how it does its normal day-to-day -day operations, how it integrates social and environmental concerns into sourcing ingredients, into how you do your marketing, into how you do your distribution. You know, because that's really where all the flow of the resources is you know if you're giving away money you're you're giving away some small percentage of your profits and your profits are some small percentage of your overall sales and so it's a it's a percentage of a percentage but if you are looking at all the money that flows through the company and you can integrate social and environmental concerns into those That's really how you start to make big impacts. Speaking of the marketing, I mean, as an old copywriter, I uh, have often used Ben and Jerry's as a, a sort of an inspiration or showed it to people to understand where I would like to go with a brand. Mm -hmm. Did that evolve over time as well? Or did you guys, did you and Ben set that? Ben always did all the marketing. Ben is a self-taught marketer. I think he used to read books about it, although I think, I think he has a real good sense about communicating. And I think that's, that's what Ben and Jerry's has tried to do is, is really communicate with people as opposed to market, that we want to communicate with customers about, the values of the business. We want to communicate about the flavors, where we get ingredients or whatever. And, and that when we're operating at our best, when we're, that our, our aspirations are to be not selling ice cream to people, but to be working with our customers and working with our employees to bring about a better world. And we do that through selling ice cream and, It's not as if the company achieves that all the time, but but that is really what our goal is. And the most inspiring thing is that you were sort of, there wasn't one single piece of text on your packaging that wasn't sort of thought about. Yeah, you know, in the beginning, the text on our packaging was a little message from Ben and me. And I think... I think it always ended with something about how, you know, we, we know this because we're the guys who make it. And mm -hmm. we wanted to let people know that this was a company. We named it Ben and Jerry's because it was two real guys and that we were making the ice cream. And 
I, I think the concern for the company over the years is how do you really institutionalize that integrity, those values, and so you make it part of what the company is, and it's not dependent on the founders. And, you know, that that's really what will define how successful the company will be, because, you know, obviously Ben and I are not there in operations or doing anything anymore and haven't been for many years. And the idea that the company still has uh, a thriving social mission, that it's taking on climate change, that it's uh, doing fair trade, that it's doing non-GMO. I think it's become internalized at the company. I was going to ask you about that. Why is GMO bad? Well, it's not that GMO is bad. You know, the science is still kind of out on that. What's important to Ben and Jerry's is that there is labeling of GMO. There's mandatory labeling in 64 countries around the world. And there is no mandatory labeling in the U.S. And for Ben and Jerry's, it's simply about a consumer's right to know so that they can make informed choices about what what they're eating, what they're feeding their children. And so the company has been actively campaigning to have mandatory labeling. You know, we always say we're not scientists. We're not deciding if you like GMOs or not. That's That's up to you. But companies need to be transparent about telling people what's in the ingredients they use. I mean, a food company should be really proud of the ingredients they use. They should be thrilled to be able to tell their customers about what they're putting in their food. Yeah, so how is that going for you? Well, so in the U.S., there is no national framework for GMO labeling. So it's being determined on a state-by-state basis. Vermont, the state where Ben and Jerry's is, uh, has passed a law that is scheduled to be implemented in July of next year that will require labeling. Okay. There's a couple of other states that have passed laws, but those those particular states depend on a trigger of a certain number of other states adopting GMO labeling before they will take effect. And then there's some other states. There's probably about 30 states that are considering legislation about GMO labeling. And then on the other side, there is very active opposition to GMO labeling that's coming from groups like the Grocery Manufacturers Association, which is essentially big food manufacturers, and also some big agribusinesses like Monsanto or Dow Chemical. So they are spending millions of dollars actively opposing labeling and the people who are supporting labeling are essentially consumer groups. Are you worried about the world? Am I worried about you? ask amazing questions. Thank you. Uh, I have concerns about, you know, obviously there are, there are a lot of big issues in the world. There's There's war and peace issues. There are these trouble areas all over the world. There's climate issues. Yes, I'm I'm really concerned. Yeah. But are you hopeful? I am cautiously optimistic. How's that? So, yes, I'm hopeful, but I I feel like I need to be engaged and I feel like people need to be engaged. No, things are not going to get better unless people get engaged. Mm. I mean, climate is is a perfect example of that. It's it's not enough that people can make 
improvements and choices in their own life about uh, having less impact, you know, doing laundry in cold water or having converting to all natural, renewable energy. We, we need to be actively campaigning for policy changes on national and global levels because it's not going to be enough to have people do things voluntarily. And especially, I guess, in the U.S., I mean, every time I, I spend time in, in Los Angeles is where I go uh -huh. most often. You, you can say it. The well, U.S. is a real problem. Well, perhaps. <laughs> it's no, a real problem. No, but the, the, the problem is that it's so based on individuality. So so that everybody want they need their own car. Because if you if you look at the commute, you know, where you can go, if you're two in the car, it's going to be ex completely empty. But the other four lines are going to be jam-packed. It's astounding, isn't it? Yeah, it and, is. And uh I mean, I I think in the US we we need policy changes. We We need to be actively supporting renewable energy. We need to stop giving subsidies to fossil fuel companies. But politically, it's just very difficult because those the oil and gas industry are big lobbyists and they give a lot of money to candidates and to help make laws. And so the political process is, is problematic. Do you think that Elon Musk is going to be the solution to the world uh, problems? I like what Elon Musk is doing. I, I don't know if, if he's going to be the solution, but he is certainly pushing for renewable energy. He's pushing for solar energy, and he's pushing for getting out of fossil fuels. Uh, he individually is not the answer, but he certainly makes enough noise that people pay attention. Do you drive a Tesla? I do not drive a Tesla. You know, Ben and Jerry's has a Tesla. Ben and Jerry's has... A climate campaign globally and in the united states part of that campaign the company has a tesla which it is trying to by scooping out free ice cream it's signing up people to join avaz avaz.org which is a non-profit organization it's an activist organization working on climate change and and the goal for the company is to sign up 500,000 people with avaz okay. so i'm very hopeful about that good luck Yes, good luck. Thank you. Would you like to recommend anything, something, anything? I'm going to recommend that all these important issues we're talking about, the most important thing is still love. And we need to give and receive love. And that is the biggest thing of all. Who do you think I should interview on my podcast? You know, I've been reading about Michelle Obama lately, the president's wife in the U.S., and I think she's amazing. She's had a really interesting journey. I think when she first came into the White House with Barack Obama, she wasn't considered a serious person. And, and recently she's been talking more about her experience growing up in Chicago and that the country still has issues with racial intolerance and she's becoming much more outspoken and she also does it in a very warm and sincere way so uh i think if you could talk to her that would be great thank you so much for your time thank you jerry greenfield folks i hope you liked it i mean i must admit that i got a few packets of ice cream and 
it was it was good it was good i'll admit to that now if you would like to discuss the content of this or any other episode of varvet i would recommend that you follow varvet on instagram that's varvet pod check out our squarespace made web page also it's varvetpod.net and you can also follow us on facebook that's Varvet Pod, but search for Varvet International or something. Varvet International is made by me, Christopher Triumph, Lovisa Olsson, Christina Jörling Biro, and Malin Åkerstren Triumph. I'm so happy to have you guys on board. Talk to you in two weeks. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.